Just past 7 o'clock. It's Monday night, and here we go. Time for Iron Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Going to be a huge show. Ira not in studio with us. For good reason, though, Ira. You've been really busy taking in probably my favorite uh, atmosphere in sports, a lot of playoff baseball. Yes, Dodger Stadium uh, last Monday and Tuesday night uh, for some amazing games. I'm going to be here. I'm here in L.A. stayed in L.A. coming and staying here for a Tuesday, Wednesday. And unless the Dodgers get swept, which would probably be one of the biggest upsets in the history of baseball, um, they were probably Thursday for the game. So they have two games Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and uh, for the Dodgers Braves series. But uh, love, love playoff baseball and uh, being at Dodger Stadium and the atmosphere. And I got some amazing pictures. If you go on Iron Sports on Instagram, Facebook, uh, and, and Twitter, I put I, I was in the, lucky to be in the first row. Uh, right behind the giant on deck circle. So I have some great shots of everything. And from my camera, from the phone, I got the net. But from my camera, I was able to avoid it. Some weird thing when you're that close. I, I thought the net was going to be in there. It looks like I there's no net. People think I'm on the field, like I'm going to get arrested for, for <laughs> running on the field. I'm so close. No, uh, your pictures are great. Like Ira said, uh, follow us at Ira on Sports on Instagram and Facebook. You can uh, ride along in the shotgun seat with Ira through all of his adventures. Uh, but this is really... You know, this is the best time of year for sports, I feel like. And maybe it's just because the NFL now is in cruise control. We kind of know what all the teams are. We've got, you know, we're leading up to the World Series and NBA and hockey just started. There's so much to talk about when it comes to uh, sports world. Yeah, I mean, we're going to, how about we just, for a sec, I'm going to say what happened this weekend. I knew there was a golf tournament. You know how much we love golf on Iron Sports. We talk about it all the time. I go to it. But I really didn't, I hardly followed it all. I mean, you want to talk about a tournament that Roy McIlroy won with shooting 25 under par, Kolomar Kawa at 24, Keith Mitchell uh, at 21, at 22 under, and Ricky Fowler at 22 under, and Taylor Gooch, who we had on our show. So we had two of the top five in the tournament. But the fact that Rory won his 20th tournament, the fact that Ricky Fowler was in the mix and this probably his best, he hasn't won in three years and it was his best uh, performance in three years. Uh, and then the, the fact that Keith uh, Mitchell was had a, a, a five-shot lead going to the weekend, which had a 73 on Saturday. I mean, what a great golf tournament was in Las Vegas. I didn't, I didn't pay attention to it at all. Like, <laughs> I, there was too much. You can't. I'm following. I'm following NCAAs. I have TVs on, screens on, everything. I mean, I was able to sit at a house that had you could get direct TV, live stream. So you could break it up into four channels, and then my two laptops had the local. So I literally was watching every single game in a living room for seven hours, <laughs> and I'm watching every college game, and I still I, no room for golf. I'm sorry, and I got my baseball too, so it was just too hard. It, it, I got to tell you, yeah, it's it's a little overwhelming at this point, <clears throat> and I was thrilled yesterday to have a London game because I got, just got to focus on one game, uh, you know, for three uh, three and a half hours. Haven't done that in weeks, it seems like, because there's just so much going on. Uh, speaking of that, you know, we like to talk about you getting to these games in general. Did you have any issues? And usually, you know, when you're dealing with L.A., it's not like you randomly going to Milwaukee and trying to get tickets. But did you have any, you know, interesting stories or run-ins trying to get to these games or actually get in? No, I mean, I think the, the interesting story would be just the whole... I have to say, whoever does the merchandise for the Dodgers is crazy because... People want to wear, when I think of LA Dodgers, what do you think of? Blue and white. I mean, that's their colors. 
they sell only black. You know, like if you go in the thing, there's every uniform's in black. That's weird. Like it's they're not they don't wear black uniforms, and it's hard to find something. People want me to buy them hats and this. It's hard to get that. Oh, and oh, I'll tell you what. The pin situation is always a disaster because they have the rule that you can get a pin, but you have to buy one item to get the pin. So literally, I was like getting people in line to be with me so I could buy them, and then I could get the pin with it because they weren't interested in buying the pin, and it was the craziest thing to try to buy. I only got like a couple pins bought anyway, but it's so hard to buy these pins. But I would say that just trying to go to these merchandise stores and seeing the situation in the lines and, and everything about that and the fact that there's just every they don't you go to Dodgers, you think you can buy blue and white and you just cannot get blue and white at all. And then I couldn't believe in LA, everyone says, Oh, the weather's perfect, but it is so cold. It was freezing <laughs> for the Monday night game. I mean I, it's like a Penn State game, it seemed like in the middle of November. Usually you got the the clothes ready to go, but yeah, if you're just wearing your Dodgers t-shirt shorts, that's not going to cut it. You got to head over to uh, you know Sports Authority and pick up a heavy jacket. Um, Ira, run into any celebrities? I know that they're always at these games. Um, tons of celebrities. Jason Bateman was sitting around at one of the games. I mean, Magic Johnson sits on the other side with tennis. Uh, Billy Jean King, who was in tennis. Um, I, this is what I found funny. One of my stories, Scott Boros, who we know is like the top agent in the world, everything. He actually was scoring the games. Like really? I was watching him, the games and he sits there in the first row. You'll see him on television, but he scored. I didn't realize what he does, but I could see that he actually keeps a scorebook. I mean, here's a guy that is you know, worth a zillion dollars has, is a top number one agent of all the sports. And he's sitting there scoring a baseball game, like, uh, like a little kid, you know, it was funny. Well, that's, that's one of the things I love about baseballs. People are like that. You might have heard um, that Tim Kirkjian cuts out box scores and tapes them in a marble notebook like you have when you're a kid. I mean, he's just been doing this for 50 years, and that's probably Scott Boris, which makes me like him. I've always hated Scott Boris, but knowing he sits there and actually you know, scores a game, that's fantastic. Yeah, but there was uh, and, and uh, uh, Rob Lowe. I saw him, and then Jalen Ramsey. I mean, when you go to when you go to a Dodger game, it's a whole mixture of different celebrities. There's the A-listers, the D-listers. I mean, there's some D-list celebrities that are as more popular than like some super celebrities. I mean, there's some people. Jalen Ramsey for the Rams was sitting right behind me. Um, he was. It was so. It was like a mixture of everyone around, and uh, but. Did not see a lot of Giant fans. I mean, it was mostly Dodger fans. I was I'm more surprised you would think that because when you go to UC, but no, it was mostly Dodger fans there. But it's, uh, they, and, and I'll tell you what, the celebrities did stay. Jason made the state to the end of the game. You see these celebrities. I mean, Magic stayed to the final out. I mean, he's part owner of the team, but still, uh, <laughs> but the celebrities did stay to the end of the game. So let's go back to Monday night. We would have been um, tied up here one to one going into game three. And this is a game you watch the entire time waiting for something to happen, and it basically took till the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, it was the fifth. Scherzer pitched seven innings, gave up three hits, gave up only one home run to Longoria. Alex Wood pitched four and two-thirds, and they bring Rodgers in, who has that under thinking. When you're there and watch that in person, I, you almost think his hand is going to touch the ground. Like, I remember Kent Tocolvi. If anyone is big Pirate fans, you know Kent the sidearm. Rodgers is not sidearm. He's underarm. And he's also, I mean, you saw a couple pitches where he bounces it. It's, it's amazing where I think he's going to throw someday and the ball's going to hit, literally hit the ground when he throws. And Doval, their closer, came in. But the wind, 
I don't. I I I didn't re-lit watch the game on TV. But I asked my friends. I go, are they saying what it is? The wind was like twenty five miles an hour. It was going against the hitters. It was freezing cold, and it was just hard to get out there. Longoria, when he hit his home run, it was like almost hit a jet screen. I mean, I saw it perfectly. I got a great picture of it. But like he hit it, and it was like it started out low, just got caught up in like almost riding a wave, and just went out that way. But uh, I know uh, Gavin Lux had one in the ninth inning, and it looked like that was that just knocked down. Like everyone who got the ball up high in the air it was kept knocked down and that's what i couldn't understand what the dodgers were doing in that game because you were trying to hit home runs was almost impossible i mean babe ruth and hank aaron and bob barry bond bobby bonds barry bonds couldn't even hit home runs because it was just the wind was so strong uh and i thought that was just a terrible loss for, for, for you know terrible loss for the dodgers and then they went down 2-1 in the series by losing that monday night game you know, it's interesting you bring that up, Ira, because I, I, they didn't make it that apparent on TV just how windy it was that you would know being there in person. They did say after the fact, you know, a lot of analysis comes out that Gavin Luck's home run 99 times out of 100 leaves that stadium based off the trajectory, well, it, 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 the, the it, bat it, it, speed. Yeah. Yes, so, you know, he got kind of hosed on that one. But regardless, big win for uh, San Fran. And then Tuesday night comes around and Dodgers going to get back in the winning seat. Well, it was a big win for Dodgers in the end. And then Tuesday night, the Dodgers came back one. Walker Bueller was pitching. Uh, and it was a fairly easy run, a win for the Dodgers, 7-2. Betts, has, uh, Betts Seager uh, had home runs. Will Smith and Gavin Lux all had hits. Betts and Smith had home runs. And everyone else had two hits. It was, it was like one of those games where it's almost like the, you felt like the Giants were just saying, okay, we're going to lose the second game. We're going to go back to San Francisco for game five. And remember, this is, these are two teams. One, the San Francisco won 107. The Dodgers won 106. So it was two of the best teams in the history of baseball playing each other in a five-game series. And I think in that situation, was the, the, really the Giants were saying, we're not going to use our top relievers. We don't care if we lose this. We want to get game five in San Francisco after a day off. Uh, uh, on uh, on Thursday. Well, they they did get their wish all tied up two games apiece going uh, into into Thursday night. Yeah, and that was this is the game that Dodgers, I mean this is where I think the Dodgers what they did and got game 5 is the prelude to what happened last night because I think they got lucky with sometimes you get lucky with decisions and you think you're smart. Like if you think you're smart, you know, if you make a misdecision and you think it's just a smart decision and then it works out, then you just think you can just keep making those decisions. I mean, I guess you put your hand on a stove and it's not warm and they have to keep putting but uh, they started Knievel, then they went Gradwell and Urias. So they didn't start Urias, who's won twenty games for them this year. Twenty games as a starter. And last year he was a reliever, and the year before he was starter and reliever. But I would have started him. I thought it was a mistake. It worked out absolutely perfect for them. In the sixth inning, Seager had a double uh, to score bets, and then Ruff came back with a home run in the bottom of the, of the, of the inning uh, to tie it 1-1. But the ninth inning, Doval, who was lights out close for the last two months of the year, he uh, um, hit Justin Turner with his fastball. And after that, I think he was afraid to throw the fastball because Lux singles to right, Turner to second. And then Cody Bellinger, who, when they put his stats up, I mean, here's a guy who's a former MVP, former this, former whatever. He's only 25 years old, and he's hitting like 160, 150. I mean, it's, it's behind, beyond the Mendoza line. It's not 250, it's 150. He singles to center, Justin Turner scores. And then they couldn't even got some more runs because Taylor had a stupid bunt. Where that's one thing that the Dodgers I think did the other night when they got the lead, they just they they had two men on base with one out and they totally messed it up. They didn't score anymore, but at least they took the lead. Anything in the bottom of the inning, they bring Scherzer in 
Um, and uh, Bryant gets on first due to you know, an error by Turner, which is stupid. But then Lamont Wade, this is the thing that no one is talking about. They call him late night Wade because the Giants won so many games at the end of the year, at the end, like in two in the morning on the East Coast, but at 11 or 11.30 and the West Coast. And he always said, he had a foul ball when he hit it. I thought it was a home run. I thought it was a two-run home run. They were going to win the game in a walk-off, and it was foul, but it was close. Like, that was amazing. And then, um, then the big issue was Flores striking out swing on a check swing. Terrible, terrible call. I don't know why it's not reviewable, but Scherzer was in such a zone. It, I don't think it mattered. Flores was, they could, I think Scherzer after the game was running around. Like every time they showed him, he was taking like more articles of his clothing off. By the end, he was just had his shorts on and nothing else. And I'm thinking, if you told Scherzer to go out right then and there, Flores, we're going to do one more pitch, he would have still struck Flores out. But, uh, it was, it was like one of those things where, where I, I think they, but I give the Giants a lot of credit. The, the players, the managers, they, they just said, look, we lost the game. They didn't make a big deal about the check swing, the poor call in the check swing. Ira, did, was it noticeable there that there was bad calls? I mean, I feel like a lot of the postseason so far across every series <clears throat> has been marred by a lot of just bad umpiring. And it's a lot easier to tell on TV with the 10 replays and them analyzing it. But you're there live. Were, were the fans getting upset or happy how it was going? Well, I wasn't there Thursday night. Oh, okay. I, was, I wasn't in San Francisco. I was only in, in L.A. On, on Monday and Tuesday and not there on Thursday. But I'll tell you what, that where I, where I think you're seeing a lot is, is that the fans are, I think the fans on the balls and strikes, it's becoming an issue where the, the, these pitchers are really good. Okay, they are throwing right on the strike zone. And it is close. There are so many close calls. And I think that's one of the points where I, you, I just cannot believe it's taking this long to get an automatic strike zone. I know people are against it, but I, um, I think I, I used to be years ago against. I see it for tennis, so I think it, it has to work. But there has to be something. But I don't know. I don't know why that check swing call was terrible. It was wrong, and I don't know why it's not reviewable. I mean, I don't. But they, I guess they don't want to review balls and strikes. But the point was that was, a, it was clearly a terrible call. It's seven seventeen. This is Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. Mike Balsamo here as well. Uh, okay, so Atlanta ended up advancing as well. Much easier than I thought it was going to be. Atlanta rolled and uh, going to face L.A., so let's go back to game one of that series. Yeah, I mean, just this was Saturday night. Saturday night, Max Fried, who's actually from Los Angeles and uh, from Santa Monica, but the Dodgers decided to go with a whole bullpen game. I mean, they had Knievel, and that's what we're seeing. We're going to talk about this, and we're going to have Jared Diamond on next week from the Wall Street Journal, who's the National Baseball writer who wrote a book on Swing Kings. Cannot wait to interview him about this. But if you're watching baseball now in the playoffs, I mean, you're going to even the Scherzers go for it. Like, like it, it used to be you're going to bring your starter out, and they're going nine innings. If they go seven, it's amazing. It, it, it's now become like an all-star game. Everyone pitches an inning. I mean, the Dodgers had Knievel for an inning, Bickford, Brule, Goslin, Vessia, Jansen, and Trinan. Like, it was just ran through the entire every, – and, and every game you're having eight or nine pitchers for teams. And people are wondering why it takes so long. It's because when they bring in pitchers in the middle of the innings, it takes time for them to warm up, not warm up, those things – but uh, the fourth inning, Dodgers go up on the Smith home run, and uh, Will Smith, there is a Will Smith closer for Atlanta, but the Will Smith hitter for the Dodgers to catch it is one of the best clutch hitters I've ever seen. It seems like he's always having just an amazing thing. But then Austin Riley, who is ha- – no one talks about Austin Riley for the Braves at all because Ronald Acuna Jr., but he got injured. He's not in it. But there's a lot of other players. All these are talking Freddie Freeman. But Riley has been great this series with the two games, he hit a home run off Gosselin, which I have no idea why it was in the game 1-1. And then in the ninth inning, I'll be singles, 
steal second, Riley singles and Albie scored, and they ended up doing a walk-off 3-2 win. But it's the same thing. The Dodgers, the Dodgers, when they won the wild card game, they lost the first game against San Francisco. When they, and, the, and now this, they, they seem to just celebrate too much. And you would expect there was some sort of letdown. When you look at the teams, when I looked at the series, I thought the Dodgers, with better pitching, with a great bullpen, with better starter pitching, a better bullpen, and, and, and probably equal to better hitters, I didn't think it was going to be close. And then they could lose the game one, but then I was expecting, of course, them to come back and win game two. Well, yeah, on paper, looking at those two teams, the Dodgers are better in every single facet, on paper. And that's why they play the games. And Atlanta, you know, it's one of these, kind of like the Nationals two years ago, get hot at the right time, and they're really hard to beat. And they proved that again uh, last night. Right. Well, now Atlanta's won 88 games and uh, Dodgers won 106. They won 18 more games <laughs> in the regular <laughs> season. And then in game six, game thing, game two, and Ian Anderson, who's their second or third best starter for Atlanta, gives up a two run home run to Seeger. So they're down two nothing. And you have Scherzer mound. But then this is where all the mistakes come in. Supposedly Scherzer told Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers, I'm tired. I, I, two days ago, I closed out the game. It was emotional. I partied. I took all my clothes off. I was, went streaking around San Francisco. I'm a little tired. Well, they could have started Bueller on regular rest, who didn't even pitch. But they start Scherzer. So in the, in the fourth inning, he tells Roberts, I am tired. People were mad at Roberts for taking him out. But then Scherzer comes out saying, I told him I was tired and whatever. But then why did he start in the first place? But he gave a two-run home run to Doc Peterson, who is one of the most popular ex-Dodger players. He was on the Dodgers. You're watching these. We're going to talk about Kike Hernandez and Verdugo for the Red Sox. But Peterson hits a two-run home run. And then they bring in Bessie. Uh, and then Kelly, Joe Kelly, pitches a sixth. And then Trinan in the seventh inning was on six pitches. So remember, it's tied two-two. And then, and then, and then, and then Urias becomes in the eighth inning. And that's the whole question. You're 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 up four-two, and and you bring in Urias to come into the game. Uh, that made, who is a again who pitched a few two days ago, who gave up a, a, run, a home run that day and two days ago. You bring him in the game. He is a starter. He was 20-2 and two this year. Won 20 wins as a starter. Why bring him in? When you could have brought Trinan back. You could have brought Gatterall in. You could have brought anybody in or Jansen even earlier. You just don't bring a, close, a starter in. It made no sense. Bill Plasky in the L.A. Times wrote a column about this. Everyone has been blasting Roberts. Again, they look at computers and look at this. You don't have Urias pitching that inning, and he gives up. Uh, and, 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 he, and he gives up a run, and uh, and that was that's where it all started in terms of they tied it back at four four. So he gives up the run that ties it at four four, and then in the eighth and the ninth inning, um, they allowed. I mean, the ninth inning was a disaster because they get a runner on, and then uh, they hit it to Seager, and Seager makes an error. They call it a single, but it's ridiculous, and they win as another walk off five four in that inning. But the issue, the problem was Urias. In the eighth, inning. bringing Urias in in the eighth inning uh, to pitch was ridiculous. So what you know, obviously, you've been uh, you've been totally against their coaching decisions for two years now. <laughs> what are people in LA and fans of the Dodgers thinking now? Because yes, some of these calls from Roberts are just ridiculous. They're they're, t- they're it's I-, I can't believe anyone's reporting it. I mean, it's all 
it doesn't make any sense. I mean, again, the Dodgers are doing everything by computer. This is all, they're even questioning, is this Robert's decision? Is it Andrew Friedman? Is it like the 50 people at the computers? And it all worked well in game five. Like it worked perfectly in game five against San Francisco. But now in these two games against Atlanta, it hasn't. And, and, and you could just point to a situation where Trinan has been unhittable. Why would you in the world would you not put Trinan in the eighth inning or bring Gatterall in the eighth inning? These are relievers for pressure situations. And Urias is known mainly as just more of a four or five. I mean, Again, he's a starter this year, and it was a situation where I just don't think you have a two-run lead. And they had a two-run lead. The series should have been 1-1, call it a day, they're going to play tomorrow, whatever. I mean, to put the Dodgers in a 2-0 hole, just like they were last year, they were down 2-0, but I just think this is a much better Dodger team and a much worse Braves team. They should never be down 2-0, and they had this game one. They had the game up. For, they had, they, they had a, a two-run lead. Absolutely, you're right. Okay, let's go over the American League side. And we talked about how Atlanta just seemed to be that team that's really hot going into this series. Both Houston and uh, Boston were on fire going into this series. They played better in, in the you know in the divisional rounds than I had anticipated, and they both came in looking good. And as a result, we've gotten two pretty good games so far. Let's go back to Houston winning five four on Friday. Yeah, I mean it's just all this series is. I, I always said first one to ten. Now these games, the first game was five four, but um, I w- both teams have no pitching at all. I mean Houston McCullers is their starting pitcher, best pitcher is not even on the on the roster because he got injured in the last series. Chris Sale, who's the starter for the Red Sox, he pitched two and two thirds innings and sixty one innings. He was an ace. Was three years ago when they won the World Series, one of the best pitchers I've ever seen. But after Tommy John surgery, he's not the pitcher he once was. And the Red Sox used eight pitchers, and Houston used eight pitchers. And uh, and then I'll tell you what, Boston was up 3-1, and then Korea, Correa and Altove hit home runs uh, and, and were able to take the lead. And then K.K. Hernandez, I think over a five-game stretch, has more hits than any player in the history of baseball uh, has been hitting home runs and everything. And you know, He's a former Dodger. He was, was traded there in the Mookie Betts trade, but Houston ended up winning that game 5-4, but then Saturday with a volley pitching, probably the best starting, by far the best starting pitcher in the whole series, because Houston really doesn't have any starting pitchers at this moment, but he pitched five in the third innings, and uh, Martin, J.D. Martinez, Rachel Devers, Keith Hernandez all hit home runs. I mean, Boston went up 9 nothing and just sort of coasted, but knowing, but if there's ever a game when you watched it, and the game took forever, so I'm probably the last person to keep watching the game, but if, if any team could be down 9 nothing and still come back and win for the Astros, because so many hitters, they are just, again, they, they could almost say first one to 10, first one to 12 wins. And I expect that in the rest of the whole series. I think this could be a seven game series, each game being in some, the team that has double digit runs ends up winning. But uh, it's, uh, it's, and it's a shame because I mean, for the Dodgers, I really think the Dodgers could handle what the pitching the Dodgers have could handle these teams. But the Dodgers are in trouble in terms of against the Braves. And I think if, if one of these teams wins, if the Dodgers don't make the World Series, I think either of these teams will beat the Braves because they're just hitting is just amazing, especially Houston. One through nine, everybody's hitting home runs on that team. No, you're absolutely right. Either team is going to be tough to beat. I mean, you know, we still look at the Braves as the fourth best team left, but they are up 2 nothing. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We might uh, have our World Series set next week on the show and be able to talk about that. Um, let's go over to the NFL. Ira. By the way, I run Sports True Oldies channel, Mike Balsamo at 725. So a lot of the rhetoric here that I'm hearing uh, today is Brian Flores needs to go. And I think that a month ago, <laughs> a month ago, they were saying Brian Flores is the best coach that the Dolphins have had, you know, since Don Shula. So I don't know what your takeaways are from Miami losing in London to Jacksonville, who had not won a game in 20 straight games, not since week one of last year. Jacksonville beat them at the end. Dolphins had chances to win two ahead. 
a decent game. Not great. Not awful. Um, what are you thinking here after this one? One key point in the game, 17-13 Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence is sacked and fumbles the ball. Miami gets the ball back. Next play, what does Tua do? Throws a absolutely horrendous. Terrible. I have no idea what he was doing with that. Yeah, what was that? I mean, it was... <laughs> It was just, it was a thrown. It was, it was literally just like you're out playing catch with friends and you're throwing <laughs> the ball. I, I didn't know what that was, and I didn't know his wide receiver was way open. And uh, but still, even after the interception, he was able to hang in there. And then uh, uh, Jacksonville was able. This Matthew Wright, who was a software engineer three weeks ago, is kicking for Jacksonville as a kicker. Kicked a 54 yard field goal, and then the end of the game was what was crazy. So it's fourth and one on the 46. I don't blame Miami for going forward. I really think you don't want to give it, it but instead of punting, instead of playing for overtime and stuff like that. So on fourth and one, because I like going on fourth down, they go for it. They don't get it. So Jacksonville gets the ball back. But then they get a penalty. They get pushed back. And it's fourth and eight on the Miami 44 with five seconds to go. But they threw the ball. What, what did it say? But Miami called a timeout. So Jacksonville was saying, we're just going to throw. We're just going to go run and just throw a Hail Mary pass. But Miami calls a timeout. Let's Jacksonville think about it. Then Jacksonville, who has a, still has a timeout, they throw the ball down the middle of the field to nine yards to Chenault with like a second to go. And then the weird thing that Miami did was is that, that because Jacksonville had no timeouts, they throw the ball in the middle, not out of bounds. All Miami had to do was let him just roll around. Like, he was on the ground. If they didn't touch him, then the clock would have gone out. But they touched him, downed him, and then that was a, then that was, and that was a way for Jack, Jacksonville. I'm sorry, had the timeout, so Jacksonville could have called timeout. But there's no way. It's not like basketball where you can just call a timeout whenever you want. When he's rolling around on the ground, when Miami touched him, it allowed Jacksonville to call their timeout there because they didn't have time to down the ball, and that gave them time. Uh, Matthew Wright at the time to kick another 53-yard field goal uh, to win the game. But I just weird ending of the game. I just don't think the Dolphins played that right, and that's Flores on Flores because he's got to teach his team. I mean, we're watching game after. game game decided by field goals things at the end of the game the Steelers game everything the Patriots the Cowboys you got you got to have your act together at the end of the game I mean, that's the most I mean you should spend everything in your program just to we have got to know what we're doing at the end of the football games what's your thoughts on uh, Flores I don't know I think he's fine I, mean, I'm not yeah, I, I still like it like that I think I think I think the issue with the Dolphins is this and I'm I think that they want Tua to play well and I think they want to play Tua to play well for this reason. I know this sounds crazy, but to play well enough that when they trade Tua to Houston, the Houston that Houston will want him in a trade so they can get Deshaun Watson. And so the point is that if Tua looks like he's improving, he's staying healthy, he's better. Maybe they're not sold on him, but the fact is that they could get Deshaun Watson in a trade because Tua, because Houston will say, "Look, we're going to bring Tua in, and Tua could potentially be our starter." So I think there's this. There's a thinking of that, but I, I think the Miami's totally messed up the whole Tua thing. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick should have been the quarterback last year. I don't think Tua was ready to come back after his injury that he had in Alabama with his hip. I think it was total rushing. I know they did well last year, but I, let, I would have let Ryan. I think they rushed Tua in, and I think that's what's caused a lot of this problems this year. Um, so I think it's, it stems from last year. But, no, I don't want to get rid of Brian Flores. No, not, nothing. I think – Chris Greer, I mean, the GM, I think yeah. every week, Justin Herbert, now this was, Herbert had a bad game, his first bad, but when they say it's like his first bad game in like a year and a half, but the fact that Herbert's looking like he's going to be one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the league, and you passed on him for Tua, now that's the mistake. I mean, when, when you pass on a superstar quarterback to take another quarterback that you're going to trade for another quarterback, then that's a mistake from the GM perspective. Yeah, I was going to say, where's the blame for Chris Greer on this? I mean, his, he's, 
he hits on draft picks like 25% of the time. I mean, if you looked yesterday, Noah Igbenogany is the, the number one cornerback. They took him in the first round three years ago. This guy is all, like, he's not even close to what they're getting out of Xavier Howard or Byron Jones. Those two guys are hurt. He got roasted every time they threw his way. Austin Jackson drafted him as a left tackle last year. He's playing guard already. They had to bring in another rookie to replace the, the left tackle they just drafted that didn't work out. So at some point, Dolphins fans need to look inside and say, Flores last year had one of the best defenses in the league with not the best talent. And I, I feel like it's, it's like that across the board. I mean... A lot of these guys just haven't worked out, and it's, it's to the detriment of the Dolphins. They're just not the team top to bottom that some of these better teams, like a sand, like an L.A. Chargers are, that are rolling typically with Justin Herbert. They just don't have the personnel. Um, and, so, I just keep, and I keep thinking about, we talk about this, but it's like every week that goes by that two is Tua and Herbert is Herbert that the gap starts to widen. Like last year, Herbert had some some games where, okay, you weren't sure about Herbert, but every week now when you look at Herbert, and even though he had a test, last week was a bad week for him, but in general, I mean, every week that he decides last week that he gets better and better, and he's looking like this is the next Aaron Rodgers, this is the next Tom Brady, <laughs> you know, this is, this is like someone who could be Patrick Mahomes, like, and then you look at Tua, like we Tua could be he's gonna be a backup quarterback in two or three years. I mean that's where so yeah. that gap keeps emerging and I think that's what makes it worse and worse and worse is it like you're searching for your quarterback. The Dolphins are gonna to trade to get Deshaun Watson five first round draft picks plus Tua plus this. They could have just drafted Justin Herbert. They yeah. didn't have to trade everybody into it to get this draft with Deshaun Watson when some people really believe that Herbert's better than Deshaun Watson. So the point is that's where you that's where I think that mistake um, is major. And I look, everybody makes mistakes. I thought, and I thought Tua was better than Herbert, but I'm not getting paid millions of dollars a year by the Dolphins to make these decisions. And I didn't watch all the film and see everything that they did. But I mean, it was, I thought, I, I, from college, I didn't think Herbert was that good, but he's surprised me. And, but I think Tua, I just think he's coming up again. I'm not, I think he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. I, I think he's going to be like Baker Mayfield. But, uh, uh, I think it's just, it's, I think last year messed them all up. Yeah, I mean, the, the the kid's poor rise to the NFL has not been typical at whatsoever. Not that Justin Herbert was. He started on a five-minute's notice when Terod Taylor went out. But, you know, everyone deals with stuff. He, he's been a little all over the place. And if we're talking about a coach change, is bringing in a new coach, a new system going to help, too, at this point? No, not at all. you got to ride this out. Uh, you got to ride this out with the current staff, see what we got. As long as they don't, you know, lose out from here and win one, go 1-16, one I think they should stay. So, Ira, it's been kind of a redemption slash shut up our doubters tour this year so far for the Dallas Cowboys. They've looked really good. The defense is, I mean, night and day what it was last year. But this game yesterday against New England, I don't think you should have New England hanging around this late on this team. Ended up being a really good game. Dallas did get the win. But I'd be a little bit shaky right now if I was one of these super confident uh, and cocky Cowboys fans. I don't know. I think I'm at 5-1. and one. The Cowboys should feel great. First of all, they never won in New England, ever. They were 0-5 against Belichick, and it was weird. This game, they made the six. Dak drove down to, like, the one-yard line through interception. The Pats scored, but then it was called up credit fumble. Um, the Cowboys had a block, but then there was another fumble when, when Dak drove the whole way down, and he was at the one-yard line, and he went for it on fourth down. It looked like he was in. They called a touchdown, but he fumbled. So they really had two times they turned the ball over right on the goal line. Um, but Trayvon Diggs for Dallas, oh, I mean, he had the seventh pick of the year, second for a touchdown, returned it for, returned for a touchdown. He's now picked up on back-to-back weeks. Jalen Hurts 
his former quarterback at, at Alabama. He intercepted him, and now Mac Jones he intercepted for a touchdown. He's at six straight games to start season with a with a with an NFL pick with a pick, which is an NFL record. Um, but it was it was like after he made the interception on Jones. Then you think, okay, New England's done. Then they throw a 75 yard pass. Uh, Jones does the born to take the lead. It's when they convert the two point conversion, make it 29 26. But then the Cowboys go down, they kick the field goal, their line kicks to overtime, and then Dallas scores a, a touchdown at the end, which is, if you were like me and go against Dak Prescott in fantasy, and you thought Prescott, who really hadn't played well, <laughs> And then he had a monster 445-yard game, three touchdowns, one interception, and they ran for 130 yards, too. It's not like Mac Jones had a good game. He was 15 for 21, 229, two touchdowns, but he had a bad fumble, the interception. But I don't know. I think it's a big win for – I think to go against Belichick and go up the win, I think Cowboys are surprising people. And I think the NFC is just so bad. Washington, the Giants, Philadelphia – they're terrible. I mean, this is, I mean, I'm ready, you know, this division is theirs to win. And the question is, are they one of the four, four or five teams that could go to the Super Bowl? But I think that after what Dallas's defense was last year, this is, I think it's, I think Dallas fans could be excited. So let's talk about your game. Pittsburgh Steelers uh, had Sunday night football against the Russell Wilson-less Seattle Seahawks. And I mean, you guys did enough to win. It wasn't pretty. The defense Geno Smith was a complete non-factor the first half. Second half, he took a couple of uh, he took a couple of shots at you guys. They did enough to win. It, it, this is a game you probably should win by a little more. T.J. Watt looks like he could be Defensive Player of the Year. What's your thoughts? Uh, well, T.J. Watt. I mean, I love defense. Um, I just love watching. I, I guess the Lawrence Taylors, like when you see, like I like the like the Water Boy, the movie The Water Boy, Adam Sandler. He was a linebacker. He wasn't a running back. Like I love watching a one player just in, in the NFL. You just don't see it. And there's schemes and this. And when I see Trayvon Diggs for the Cow- Diggs for the Cowboys makes his interceptions, I love it. And then for the Steelers, T.J. Watt, two sacks, two tackles for losses, three passes knocked down, and then in in uh, in overtime. He goes, he, 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 he sacks Smith and then forces a fumble that Devin Bush picked that fumble up. And I was like, where is he running? He ran the wrong way. <laughs> he, was, he, he went five yards the wrong direction, which I thought was just hilarious. And then I think he was just confused where he was. And then he ran back the right way. But, uh, I mean, the story of the game, though, was Tomlin was mad because at the end of the first half, they, uh, the, 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 uh, um, Seattle was down by three. And, they threw the ball, and, there, and Metcalf, it was like uh, Metcalf got the, for Seattle, got the ball, and instead of going out of bounds, he kept trying to run, but there's only a few seconds left. Like, what was he thinking? Because they were in field goal range. So he takes the ball and he fumbles. So then the ball comes back after he fumbles, and then when and Seattle fell on the ball with 25 seconds to go. Now, the clock should have ran out. Like, see, Metcalf should have been, uh, you know, what were you doing and stuff like that. It was a stupid play. But the refs then is then the clock did run out. But then the refs said, "Oh, we're reviewing it." So they called a review with three seconds to go, giving them time to down the ball, and they kicked the field goal to send it to overtime. And that's what Tomlin was so mad about, which I thought was again, I, I sort of agree with Tomlin. This review thing, you can call a review on every single play at the end of the game, then, and then you, you don't need any timeouts. But it was just a weird ending and weird play. But look, the Steelers are going to win ugly. They have Najee Harris who played great. Ben's going to make some plays. They're three and three. I predicted this. I'm saying this Steelers team is going to be nine and eight, and they're going to figure out some way to get in the playoffs. They're in the playoffs now at three and three with the extra playoff teams. The Steelers are in it, 
So I just think it's one of those things. They're going to win ugly like this the rest of the season with the running game, but their defense played great, and, uh, um, and they're lucky that Seattle didn't have Russell Wilson. Seattle's now 2-4, and four, and they're nervous now. they got to get Wilson back, and that's why they're talking about maybe bringing Cam Newton in. Even though Geno Smith played okay, but they're thinking of bringing Cam Newton because if Wilson's going to be out more games, then they're, they're, their season will be over. Let's talk about Kansas City and Washington. Kansas City, up until last week, was the betting favorite in Vegas to win the Super Bowl. And Ira, they have not looked like a Super Bowl team so far this year. They're three and three. Russell, uh, Russell, Patrick Mahomes, he's putting up good numbers, but he's just not sharp and crisp like we've seen the past couple of years. I don't. This team for me right now is not on the level of a Baltimore or a Buffalo in the AFC. No, I mean that game was Washington's up thirteen ten at the end first half. Everybody follows the Washington, the football team. They're terrible. They're a mess. Like the, uh, Heineke is a quarterback. They really don't know what they're doing. It's just it's the team. Their defense, which is supposed to be the strength of their team, has been awful this year. Everything has been wrong for them. And uh, but again, Mahomes had two interceptions in the first half. They're giving him eight interceptions for the year. Last year, I think he had six for the whole year. So he has eight for the entire year in six games. Uh, but in the second half, they, they and in the second half started, they punted. They actually had to punt the ball. Washington misses a field goal, so they're up 13-10. And then, and then I'm like, I'm thinking, wow, Washington's driving down there. They can make it 20-10. to 10. Like, is Washington going to just win this game and send the Kansas City to 2-4? and four? But in the end, uh, Kansas City, Mahomes, to Kelsey, and Hill, and everything. So maybe they, I hope they don't think they righted the ship by playing well in the second half against Washington when everyone's scoring against Washington. But uh, it was, it was a, look, Kansas City's situation where they needed to win that game 3-3, three and three, but they are not, no, they are no, their defense is absolutely horrendous, and uh, their offense is sputtering. And when their offense, in the old days, Kansas City was good enough that when their offense would turn the ball over, oh, the defense would stop it a little bit. Now, and the offense is not going to be counted on to score 30 points every game. Like, you could just put Mahomes down four touchdowns, five touchdowns every game. They're going to score 30, 40, 50 points a game. Now you can't do that with their defense, but you can count on their defense to give up 30 points a game. So that's going to be the problem. But they, it was a big win for Not a big win, but a win they had to have against Washington. Speaking of that, the, the bad defense, which is historically bad, going into that game, they'd forced 11 punts in five games. That's just, that's really, really poor. That's not playing any defense at all. Let's go to Arizona and Cleveland. Arizona's defense, Ira, who I thought would be good this year, they've looked very good. And they've been shutting down some high-profile teams. I knew they beat Cleveland. Cleveland, you know, banged up. Nick Chubb was out. I didn't think they beat them this bad, especially with their head coach out with COVID. Wow. I mean, this I didn't see. I thought Cleveland was going to win this game. I thought Cleveland's defense was playing better. I thought that Mayfield, even without Chubb, they had Kareem Hunt to run the ball. But it was just a total. I mean, Cleveland wasn't in the game at all. I mean, and also, uh, Kyler Murray supposedly was injured going to the game, had a hurt shoulder. So last year when he played, the quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals was injured and didn't play well at the end. But he looked great. Even though there's 20-mile-an-hour wins, he was 20 for 30, uh, versus 29, just four touchdowns. Their wide receiving crew, A.J. Green, who people thought was out of the league when he played for the Bengals, is playing well. Christian Kirk, DeAndre Hopkins, they were great. Um, and uh, But it was it was a situation where we were right. The Arizona Cardinals defense is playing great. They're 6-0, and and uh, they play the Texans next week, so they can go 7-0. and But they're playing well, and they're they're good. And it was just, I more from anything, I was shocked at Cleveland. I thought Cleveland 
some. I thought Cleveland was potentially a Super Bowl team after watching them in that game. No, you can't lose like that at home uh, to a team coming from the West Coast in a situation without their coach. Kingsbury had to sit out for COVID. A terrible, terrible loss for Cleveland. So, Ira, some people said that they saw this coming with the Ravens and the Chargers. God, I, I would not have bet this game. But I definitely wouldn't have picked the Ravens to just destroy the Chargers. And the entire game, it was like the first time you kind of saw Justin Herbert look like a little bit of deer in the headlights. His whole team looked terrible. And, and what do you know, Lamar Jackson it looks as good as he ever has. His numbers didn't look good. I watched the game. So his numbers didn't look great in terms of Lamar Jackson. But they're, they just controlled the ball. This was what the Ravens do. They just get the ball. They run. They throw first downs. They have, I think, they 27 first downs for the game. I mean, they just control the entire game, control the time of possession. Uh, the Chargers were 0 for 5 on the first five possessions. Um, they really didn't do anything. And this is a Chargers team that last week had 47 points against Cleveland. But it was a situation where the Ravens are looking like the Ravens have been looking like in the past. And I think going this year with all the injuries, people thought, boy, there'd be a drop-off. But they are looking like an elite team. And Lamar Jackson is, is definitely elite between his running and passing. And they're, look, they use Latavius Murray, Devontae Freedom, Lavian Bell. I mean, the, the uh, running back of uh, near uh, retirement level or the senior, <laughs> the senior tour of running backs. And it's working out well for them. And uh, the Chargers and the Ravens defense. They, they held the Chargers to 200 total yards. Total yards! It was like a high school team. 200 total yards on 50 plays. So it was a, a huge win in terms for the Ravens. I'm going to give the Chargers a pass. They had a, they had a very uh, exhausting win against Cleveland the week before. They traveled across the, uh, the country, played the Ravens. I'll give them a pass on this game. But for the Ravens, great win for them. No, Yeah, I'll give them a pass, too. I think this is more of an anomaly, kind of like this next team we're going to talk about, Green Bay, who just had the worst game of Aaron Rodgers' career week one, haven't lost a game since then. They are at 5-1 and one now, beat Chicago. And Ira, this game might get a little overshadowed by what happened after the game. Well, I think it's, I mean, it's so funny. The, people think that Green Bay and Chicago are rivals. Green Bay has beat Chicago 20 times, 20 of the last 23 times they played. Rodgers is 22 and 5 against the Bears. I mean, you look at these stats, you're like, what? This is crazy. Like, the Bears, like, there's, it's not a robbery. But then Aaron Rodgers ran in for a touchdown. A great game. 17 for 23, two touchdowns and a rush touchdown. But he ran in for a touchdown and he says, I still own you to the fans and whatever. It was caught on television and now everybody's talking about it. Now, I don't think the players heard it during the game. But this is going to cause you don't say that. I mean, that's terrible to say. I still own you after you run the ball for a touchdown when you're the quarterback. So I think that is going to be a big deal. And I think that, again, the Bears fans, the Bear players didn't hear him say it. But after the game, they heard it. I think it shows a lot of disrespect on his part. You don't say that. And for Rodgers to do that, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, Aaron Rodgers would probably be someone, if someone said what quarterback would say that when they're in a touchdown, <laughs> that would be Aaron Rodgers. And then his defense was, I blacked out. What do you mean, just ran a touchdown? What do you mean, you blacked out? Like, the same blackout you had when you against the, uh, the uh, Buccaneers last year when you, when you couldn't score a touchdown at the end of the game? I mean, what, what a, just a crazy comment. So Giants do Giants things, look terrible. That game uh, yesterday to the Rams, 38-11, to Giants got down by Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay, and it wasn't even that close. It, it was worse than the, than the score dictated. <laughs> well, I just I got to give the Rams credit because that's what a good team has to do. When you're playing a really bad team that that seems to want to lose, you don't have them in the game. As we talked about the the Reds, uh, the Washington Football Team game against Kansas City, Kansas City had trouble putting a bad team away. The Rams, Stafford looks great, Cup looks great. This team looks fantastic, and and be able to take. I know they they lost the previous week, but I mean the fact is they're five and one. 
they're looking, the Rams look like a team that could go to the Super Bowl, and Stafford looks fantastic. Four touchdowns, he, 22 for 28, his completion percentage is so high. Uh, 16 touchdowns in six games. Uh, this is one of those trades when they made that trade. Uh, it was a big gamble, and it paid off. I mean, that's, for, uh, as again, for, if I was a Rams fan, I'd be ecstatic. My team was aggressive. I mean, the Rams have no draft picks now for the next, like, 10 years. They have zero draft picks. They're going for it all. But if you're going to go for it all and try to be, have a team like this good and this exciting, then that's great. Going back to Thursday night, Tampa beat Philly. The score made it look like the game was kind of close. It really wasn't. And Philadelphia's got some serious issues because they just refuse to run the ball with their running backs. And it's very predictable and kind of rough to watch. Well, I mean, they fired Doug Peterson. Philadelphia's terrible. I mean, I think that they, in some games they look good, but, but Tampa and Brady, so Brady has a hurt thumb, and they said, oh, he might not be able to throw the ball, but he, was, he only threw, he threw 34 for 42, eight incompletions the entire game, two touchdowns. He threw his first interception in 227 yards, 227 games. Jalen Hurts was absolutely horrendous. Tampa, which I always say, the key for Tampa, when you look at Tampa, look how they run. Look how many yards they get. They, Fournette ran the ball for 80 yards, two touchdowns. And then the key thing for Tampa and I'm saying this, and I'm mad at myself for not drafting him. Antonio Brown. Like, before you had Godwin and you, and you had Mike Evans, Antonio Brown is looking like the – Le'Veon Bell doesn't look like Le'Veon Bell. Antonio Brown looks like the Steeler uh, – sorry, Antonio Brown looks like the Steeler Antonio Brown. Nine catches, 92 yards, a touchdown, and he seems to be getting open every time he goes down there. And he doesn't have Ben Rossiter throwing the ball. He's Tom Brady. So if Tom Brady sees him open, he's going to throw to him. And that's what's amazing about it. He is – Antonio Brown's ability to get open it was, it was what reason why he was so great for the Steelers, and now he's playing with the most accurate quarterback you can imagine, and that's it. I think he's week after week you're going to start seeing these huge numbers for Antonio Brown. I mean, when they double him, then Godwin and Evans and Gronkowski and everyone else are going to. So Tampa looks fantastic. Where do we uh, stand here uh, about uh, six weeks into the season? I just think the Bills, the Ravens, Chargers, and Chiefs. I mean, I, I, Chiefs are three and three. As much as I'm a Steelers fan, I think it's right. But I think those are the four teams. That you're looking at saying the Bills are four and one, Ravens five and one, Chargers four and two, Chiefs three and three. Those are the teams. I'm not going to think the Raiders have a chance, or, but I, I think you're looking at one of those four teams who's going to be in the Super Bowl. And then the NFC: Dallas is five and one, Green Bay five and one, Tampa five and one, Arizona six and zero, Rams five five and one. Those four teams, I think, are the four of of, uh, of those. I'm sorry, those five teams. Uh, one of those five are going to win the Super Bowl or get to the Super Bowl at least. Um, everyone else. I mean, there's starting to be a lot of bad teams in terms of each league has like there's four teams like the Jets, the Finns, Houston, and Jacksonville, and then no chance. And Washington, Philly, Giants, and the Lions are terrible. So it's really, it's weird. Like 12 teams are playing for like seven playoff spots. Uh, so, but it, it's, it's really shaping up. I think faster than I've seen in years past where you can start to see really the good teams emerging at this week six juncture. Now for the Steelers, like now you're getting the bye weeks and things like that and resting. But a lot of it has to do with injuries. Last year, the Steelers got off to a huge start. Injuries hurt them. So injuries are going to play a big factor in how these teams are able to, to keep playing. But those are the teams that I think are looking right now in, in great shape. No, you're, you're right. There's definitely a lot of... There's almost 10 teams that are basically done. <laughs> it's very top and bottom heavy right now, where normally there's just a lot more three and threes, and you're not going to find out. You can look. I mean, you named five teams that are not going to win four games like, already. It's it, crazy how bad it is. Uh, let's go over to college football. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel at 750. Kentucky faced off against Georgia, Ira, and we were uh, hoping for a good game here, and Georgia did what they had to do. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a game, Kentucky's first. They were 6-0 for the first time since 1950. 
Uh, Georgia's now won 12 straight against Kentucky. Uh, just interesting to think about this. Bear Bryant was a Kentucky coach, and he was mad. I, they told a story when I was supposed to do on the game that uh, so Adolph Rupp was the basketball coach. Bear Bryant was a football coach at Kentucky. And when they offered, they offered, they gave Adolph Rupp a car, and they gave Bear Bryant uh, a watch. <laughs> and after he got the watch, and Rupp got the car, he decided to leave and go to Texas A&M, and then then on to Alabama. But it's it's like this is the one thing we talked about. Stetson Bennett the third. Through, who is was someone who was playing junior college football two years ago, went to Georgia, was there, was caught behind uh, Jake Fromm, Justin Fields, everybody else, and then they bring JT Daniels, but he, Daniels has been hurt all year, but he was 14 for 20, 250 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, it was only 14 to 7 at halftime, but it's like Kentucky, like at the end of the game, the score was, it was, it was not even close, and it was like, it was, what was it, third, it was uh, 30 to 6. And then, uh, 30 to 7, and then Kentucky with the last play scores a touchdown. Uh, and, and Georgia was like doing everything to stop them to score the touchdown. But it was only their second touchdown that Georgia's given up all year in terms of their Georgia defense. But, uh, one of the interesting things about it is that Georgia had made 363 extra points, an NCAA record, and their kicker, uh, Jake Pulowski, made 71 of those, but they missed. They, over, since 2014, they had never missed an extra point, and they finally missed. But Georgia's off next week, then they play Florida, and uh, Georgia's 5-0 and in their conference, Kentucky in their division, Kentucky's 4-1, and uh, both Tennessee, Florida, both 2-2. Two and two. I mean, Georgia plays Florida, Missouri, Tennessee, then Charleston Southern, Georgia Tech. Unless Florida can pull the game of all games, Missouri's not beating them, Tennessee's not beating them, uh, Georgia's going to be playing in, in the SEC championship game because I can't see – I mean, they are rolling, and uh, they're in a situation where they're, they're probably going to play Alabama in the SEC title game. Nobody really saw this game coming in Iowa versus Purdue. I was pretty shocked. I think, I mean, when you're, when you're a two-touchdown underdog, I think it was like 15 or 16, but they had just beat Penn State the week before. Um, had injuries in that game, but Petrus, their quarterback, who didn't look that good against Penn State, I think Penn State got a lot of credit for being great on defense, but Iowa's defense led the nation with 20 takeaways and only had one. And then Purdue, just their quarterback, O'Connell, 30 for 40, 375 yards, two touchdowns. Their wide receiver, David Bell, had 240 yards in receptions. They had almost 500 yards on this Iowa defense that was the best in the country. Um, This snapped Iowa's 12-game winning streak. And Iowa, which was two, dropped all the way to 11. But Iowa's still in a position to make it to the Big Big Ten title game. The question now for the Big Ten is, I always said, oh, if Iowa goes undefeated and, and maybe Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State or Michigan State goes undefeated, they might get two teams. Iowa, I don't think Iowa's going to get – Iowa certainly, if they lose again, won't get in. Um, and and, and uh, if they win, they probably, if they win the Big Ten, might get in. But they don't look good, and they might lose some other games. This was a bad loss for Iowa at home. Uh, and uh, it really, when you fall from 2 to 11, that's I think the pollsters saw that too. Yep, Cincinnati was going to face off against uh, Orlando's UCF, and they did what they had to do in this one. Well, they won 56 to, to 21. Uh, Cincinnati now has beat Notre Dame and Indiana. They play Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, South Florida, SMU, East Carolina. The Cincinnati is a really good team. They don't play anyone the rest of the way. I think you're going to be looking at 1-2 Georgia, Cincinnati. Look, you can call me wrong, but I think for the next you know, about uh, seven, eight weeks to go in football, those are the top two teams. Cincinnati's not losing. Georgia's not losing. And I don't see Cincinnati dropping either because they're dominating these teams. 
they're winning, they're winning, and it's going to be hard to take. It's going to be hard now to take Cincinnati if they're going to sit at number two. Now, this is just the pollsters. I want to see what the uh, selection committee does with them. But if they're going to be number two with the selection committee, then and that's why that win over Notre Dame was crucial. I mean, they can't afford a loss, but by beating Notre Dame and Notre Dame, by beating Indiana uh, at Indiana, this sets now Cincinnati saying, look, we beat some big teams, whatever. But there's never been a non-power five team in the playoff but they look like they're going to be the first one. I'd be, I think they're going to be able to do it. Let's talk about uh, Oklahoma and TCU, Ira. Well, Oklahoma, the, the story of this game is Caleb Williams. They, Oklahoma replaces Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler, who we had draft gurus on, who said, well, we'll probably be the number one quarterback take it in 2022. Well, Spencer Rattler is now not even the number one quarterback on his team who's going to not have to transfer to go to another school because Cal Williams is a true freshman. He's only the first true freshman to start at Oklahoma since 1990. He passed for 18 for 23 yards. He saved the game against Texas. They were about to lose the game until he came in and, and saved that. But for 295 yards, four touchdowns, he ran for another touchdown. Um, and it, they, it was their, Oklahoma looks like Oklahoma now. I mean, they had, they've been undefeated. I mean, it's, Rattler's the only quarterback saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm the Heisman Trophy front runner. I'm going to be the number one player taken in the NFL draft. And now I'm out of a job, and, and that's what happens. And, and now Oklahoma, though, they, they really they still play like Kansas, Texas Tech next two weeks. Then they play Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. Uh, Baylor's only lost once. Oklahoma State's undefeated. Iowa State has uh, two losses, but are good. I mean, that's going to be the challenge for Oklahoma. They cannot afford a loss if they want to be in the playoffs. But getting Caleb Williams in, he looks fantastic. He looks great. He looks like someone that say he looks like a young Cam Newton in terms of being able to run the ball. He's big and strong and fast and also can really throw the ball down the field. So it's like uh, um, pretty amazing in terms of Oklahoma being able to make a change like that. Lincoln Riley, you got to give him a credit to, to bench Spencer Rattler and put Caleb Williams in. Let's talk about uh, a matchup of two teams in very close proximity, also pretty close in the rankings, Oklahoma State and Texas. Oklahoma State had enough to pull this one out. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched that game. Texas now has blown the lead in two. They lost, they blew, um, Texas blew the lead against Oklahoma. They were up 24-16 going in the fourth, and Oklahoma State was able to come back and win this. And uh, it was uh, they scored 16 unanswering points. They have a running back called Jalen Warren, Mark Brush with 200 yards, 154 yards in the second. I mean, it's just Texas. It doesn't matter who their coach is. It's like, what is Texas's problem? Their defense fault. I mean, they bring Steve Carstarkisian. Everyone's excited. All the enthusiasm. They had Tom Herron, Harry and the coach before. All this excitement. And it's just, they are Texas. They are, they are a team that, that draws 100,000 to their stadium. They have all this. They have the best recruits, the best players, and they cannot play 60 minutes of football. This has been the problem for Texas. It seems like for, since Mac Brown left and Vince Young with the, when they beat USC with Reggie Bush and everything, they cannot win these tough games. They cannot win a tough game and uh, bad loss for, for Texas. Now they're four and three. And I think that's not what they were thinking. So uh, and we're going forward. Alabama did what Alabama does and beats teams that they should. <laughs> well, they, Mississippi State, uh, Alabama won 49-9. The question is, Alabama lost last week. What was going to happen with losing it, being upset to Texas A&M and then having this type of game? But boy, they look great. And now Bama is 3-1. and one. Mississippi is 2-1, and one, but they were going to beat them. Auburn's 2-1. and one. And A&M's 2-2, two and two, LSU's 2-2, two and two, but uh, Bama plays uh, the next four games at home. They play Tennessee, which they'll kill, LSU, uh, New Mexico State, Arkansas, and they're at Auburn. So unless something crazy at Auburn, it, this is now Bama has these home games, hard to see them lose. Just they, may, they run the rest of their schedule, they'll be playing Georgia for the SEC title game. Now remember, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, they're all off last week. 
and then Michigan State beat Indiana. Michigan State was 10th. They beat Indiana 20 to 15. Um, I always thought the game was funny because Michigan State was a six foot underdog going into the game, and they're like six and oh, and Indiana was two and three. And so I thought that was weird. But what's for the Big Ten? Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State are all undefeated. They're all four teams in the top nine in the country, but they all play each other in the next six weeks. So we're, it's all going to shake out because all these teams are all in the same division and they play each other and uh, go for going forward. Ira, we've got uh, just about five minutes or so left here. What other uh, college games you want to touch on? Because I know there was a little bit of a mess there in Tennessee. Well, I, I didn't I didn't watch the game much, but I certainly in the end I was listening to it. Mississippi Mississippi played Tennessee, and this is a lot Tennessee was playing well early in the year, and then they were 4-2. and two. There was emotions going to this game, and Lane Kiffin, coach of Tennessee one year, left, sort of said, I, <laughs> everywhere Lane Kiffin leaves, it's a, it's, a, it's a fire in terms of leaving, and there's a disaster. But the point was is that uh, Tennessee had a chance to get a first down near the end of the game. They were like, it was 4th and 20. It was, they ended up getting 19 and a half yards, and, they, and they, people were criticizing the spot of the foul, spot of the, the, where the ball was with a minute to go in the game. And they gave the ball to... To Mississippi and the fans and sort of throwing stuff on the field and you hear that oh they threw a bottle but it seemed like from the rate and I watched it on television watched everything later um for 20-25 minutes they're throwing stuff on the field I've never seen that much longer and I was waiting for them to call the game they never called the game they kept waiting so they finally got everything cleared up like a half an hour later they start the game Mississippi gets uh, stuck on they go three downs they can't advance it Tennessee gets the ball back Tennessee had a chance to to win the game at the end of the game. They were they threw two balls in the end zone to win, even when they got the ball back. But it was it was a crazy game, and Tennessee was fined two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But it's just a poor reflection on how like I, I just can't believe that even after five minutes, I means you would think that the police are able to come in and just stop throwing or whatever. And I think I was listening to the Mississippi announcers, so they were certainly biased. They were saying, "Call the game, call the game," and uh, and you saw the field and everything was thrown on the field. But it was a it's a it's certainly not a good reflection on the Tennessee Volunteers. Um, what other game I want to talk about? Oh, yeah, Florida LSU. So Florida, <laughs> they, they, they were number 20. I mean, this is a team that was in top five, maybe six, seven, starting the year. But they, it was like back and forth the whole way. But LSU, I mean, Florida was favored by 12 in the game. LSU just, Florida could not stop LSU's running back. Uh, Tyron Davis-Price ran for almost 300 yards and three touchdowns. LSU had 321 total yards rushing against Florida. Um, a disaster for Florida and had it happens and, and a bad loss. But then LSU announces they're firing Ed or, or, or Gerard as their coach. Now, he's been there six seasons. His record is 50 and 49 and 17. He, his first year is 9 and 4, second year 10 and 3. Just two years ago, he was 15 and 0, which was the best football team I've ever seen. I told him it was at the game, the Alabama LSU game. It's one of the, it's the best college football team I've ever seen. He put it together. And since then, they say it's only been 9 and 8. But they lost 14 players in the draft. Five players in the first round, and they lost Joe Brady in the defense quarter. So usually when you win, so there could be some sort of slide. I just cannot. I mean, I think he should be hired by somebody else. I mean, anybody who can put a team like that together that great just two years ago, hire him. And he's a great recruiter. Everybody loves him in terms of I just think he was not hired by the athletic director and the president. They, the standards at LSU are crazy. I mean, that's they pay him $8 million, the second highest paid coach. But, like, they want to bring in James Franklin, Jim O'Friar. I mean, their idea is they're going to pay the next coach the highest They'll pay him higher than Saban. They're going to pay their coach the next. But I mean, I don't know what they can do. But uh, I just think it's. I know he's coaching the rest of the year. But I mean, LSU could finish the year with a good record. And and he just two years ago he won the national championship. Just surprised by that. We do. And then to... I guess the other one was Miami losing again to North Carolina. Uh, they lost forty five forty two. They're two and four. 
So that's a that's about it. We have to talk about Jamie Chadwell, the coach of uh, Coastal Carolina. We had on the show. This team scores fifty points every week. <laughs> Some offense to watch. <laughs> they win by 30, and they're on Thursday nights. If you nothing new on Thursday nights, you don't want to watch the NFL game, or you don't want to watch baseball. Watch Coastal Carolina. I mean, Jamie was great. He came on our show. I think he was on our show for almost a half an hour talking about Coastal Carolina, and people were like, what's Coastal Carolina? And then last year they thought it was like, oh, maybe a surprise, but they're destroying everyone. They're ranked 14th. They're not going to lose. I mean, this team could could really be in the top 10 by the end of the year because they're going to keep winning these games and other teams lose. So I just love the fact that we had him on our show. I know they were great. He's a great coach. And you just wonder what's going to happen. Like, he's so good that, like, you know, why isn't he hired at LSU or something like that? <laughs> because he's yeah, but the situation is he's going to stay in Coastal Carolina or is he going to go go somewhere else? Yeah, it took him from last to first, and now they have the most prolific offense in college football. It's crazy. Uh, you mentioned golf, Ira. So we've had two of the top five from the past weekend on our show, and Keith Mitchell and Taylor Gooch. Great weekend of golf that not many people probably saw. No, I mean, as we talked about when the show started, Rory got his win. And uh, Ricky and Ricky played well, but I mean, golf is sort of like I thought golf was over in terms of whatever. And I looked at this tournament, and it seemed like everybody wants to come to Vegas to play. I mean, it was John Rahm. Like, just some of the top golfers weren't in it, but I was I was shocked by the field. I mean, the, the prize was high, but but that was uh, it was a to have the names like have a leaderboard with McElroy and Morikawa and Fowler and Steve and Dustin Johnson were in the field too. So it was a great field, but. But I said most of these golfers now will take the next like three months off. So this was like the last tournament before they're they're really you're going to see them next again maybe in Hawaii. In January. Good uh, good job of Ricky Fowler to cash in. I think it was 550k he got, and that put him over 40 million in career earnings. He probably made about three times that in endorsements. <laughs> uh, what's happening in NASCAR? <laughs> oh, Kyle Larson won again in the race in Fort Worth. Fort Worth. Um, he's now had eight wins for the year. And this is what I don't like about NASCAR. They have this point system. So even though he has eight wins, the next closest is Martin Truex with four. He should easily be running around, I mean, uh, running away with the points race. But the way they do the playoffs, he still might lose. I just hate that. And I've always, I've, when they made that change, that's why Formula One I like. You just win your races and you keep totaling it. You don't have this playoff. It's, it's, it's not like you're playing these teams. There's other drivers. People have vendettas. They're trying to crash you. It, it, it's ridiculous to try to have all the other players play in this when, when it should just be a points list, um, but uh, but so anyway, but that they'll they'll make a final cut down next week after to to four, to the final four. There's eight now, and after next week, there'll only four drivers still left in the race. And NBA kicks off this week. <laughs> I I'm busy with my fantasy basketball, <laughs> and I'm so pumped, and it's so much, and I just don't know why they're starting so early. I, I think you're going to see like a two month exhibition season. These players aren't going to play. Um, I would love we're going to get into the NBA after the baseball class over. Nobody loves the NBA of course more than me, but it's so funny. I was at I was in Phoenix. I was in Milwaukee. I was in Brooklyn at Game Seven to watch basketball now like I turn the game on like one of these exhibition games like that's not basketball like I mean I'm watching them play like Giannis his entire career is defined on how he plays and how he does this isn't even resembling the sport that I watched I mean this is totally different than anything we should have like a three point competition or something to shoot but uh, it's weird that it's starting but it's got to start it's going to be a long I mean they're playing the whole way till June it's October uh, like I know for a lot of fans I, I just think it's starting way too early and you're watching like the playoffs of baseball you're watching college football which in the final there's only like, six weeks left and you have the NFL in the middle of their season and then you're watching the NBA and the NHL play not meaningless games, but games that really they're not, and no one's giving any players are sitting out, they're resting. 
not so excited. Don't tell hockey players it's meaningless because they're going out there. The Florida Panthers. Right. <laughs> Panthers, by the way, are 2-0-0. They've, they've got the most points possible that they could have through their first two games. They're going to play Colorado and Tampa this week, so could be tough going uh, from here. And college basketball kicking off soon, and we've got a very likely number one. Well, I don't know if it's likely because people people often realize that college basketball changes every year, but Gonzaga has by far the greatest recruiting class you could imagine, and uh, they kept a couple of players from last year's team, but they're the unanimous number one. And I do like it this year. The one thing college basketball does, I think, better than almost any is for a lot of these teams, they are playing tougher teams. You're seeing Gonzaga will play UCLA and Texas and Villanova. So all these good teams play each other the beginning part of the year, which would be interesting. But Gonzaga, which came up short last year to Baylor in the National Championship game, to come back and be ranked number one with great rec- – I mean, if anyone saw where Gonzaga's gym is and how they're – they do not have the best facilities. So it just shows you what Mark Few has done in the program and, the, and everything, that they're able to get these top transfers, top players. But we got NBA starting, college basketball starting, got NHL, got every sports firing away right now. Ira, what are you doing this week? Well, first of all, I just did want to say tonight's Monday Night Football game. I do think Buffalo, Buffalo's, I think, the underdog, I'm a favorite by six over Tennessee. I'm excited for this game. It's going to start soon. I like Buffalo to win. And, but I, with Derrick Henry, the way we talk about the running back for Tennessee, been phenomenal uh, all year. He's ready. He's got, he's on a pace to set the all-time NFL rushing record after five games, which is still a long way to go. But he's been dominating. Might have another 2,000-yard season. So it'll be exciting to see him run against the tough Bills defense. Now this is a chance for Josh Allen to shine on uh, national television. But definitely, I'm going to go to the games, the Dodger games, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I think the Bills win by two scores, two touchdowns here. I, I think they're going to blow out Tennessee. But we'll see. Either way, we are out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next. Monday night, Iron Sports.